0: Alright, everybody. I think all the businesses, oh, no, no, the, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead and run it. Uh, On the back table, it is the monthly uh, Nigeria Ijo Mission Wives Bake Sale. Um, We have planted a whole bunch of churches throughout the Niger Delta in West Africa, and um, a couple of the guys here have been with me over the years. And every year um, we bless the uh, wives of the pastors um, who have been trained and put in position financially so that they can bless their household. And also throughout the years we meet just different emergency needs that may come up if someone needs an operation or something happens. So what you donate for the baked goods that are available and thank you to all the ladies that, uh, and men that may have baked and provided them, all those donations, Go towards that fund, Nigeria Ejo Mission Wives Fund. And I just want to um, add a ditto to Antonio's remarks. A well-deserved and very blessed, happy Mother's Day. 365 days of the year is Mother's Day. There's nothing quite (coughs) as inspiring in life as the sacrifices of a mother. It's a- absolutely amazing um, just to see that natural sacrificial of laying down of lives. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, I, I remember Mom getting me by the ear, and you know, and being rough and everything. But um, we, we learn how to love, how to lay down our lives through that wonderful sacrifice. So God bless you, moms, and thank you. We love you and we appreciate you. All right, living with vision, part three. Um, I've shared for the past couple of weeks on this theme of the fact that God has called us to live with a vision. And vision is different from sight. And I'll mention that in a few moments. But uh, this morning, I want to take as my opening text out of the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. This is a message that the Lord gave to the church called the Church at Philadelphia. And to the Church at Philadelphia, this is what the Lord said. This is the solemn pronouncement of the Holy One, the true one, the one who holds the key of David, who opens doors no one can shut and shuts doors no one can open. I know your deeds. Look, I have put in front of you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, but you've obeyed my word and have not denied my name. So I've put an open door before you no one can shut. Your future isn't in front of you. Your future is inside of you. And knowing what God has put in you, knowing the future that God's put inside of you, is what we call vision. And that vision will produce four things in your life. The first one we shared last week, which is inescapable desire. This morning, we're going to talk about the second, which is open doors. God will begin to bring open doors in your life when you begin to discover and follow the vision that he puts in your life. The vision that God plants in your heart isn't fate. It's a stewardship that you must keep. You must cooperate with it. You must work it and be faithful to it. It's not just something magically that's going to happen in your life. A path, if you will, or a a destiny that's just simply going to overtake you. It is a ministry. To have a ministry to others, you must first be faithful to the ministry to yourself. So the vision God plants in you, it's a stewardship. And it's a path with doors of decision along the way that God sets before you. Each decision to be faithful advances you in God's purpose, and it brings you forward in the vision that God's put in your life. Nobody in the Bible, of all the characters in the Bible, really demonstrate that fact that God has set doors before us to help us move forward in the vision God's given us, like Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, son of Jacob. And if you remember... Uh, how many of you familiar with Joseph, know the dream? Joseph, the dreamer, praise the Lord. Joseph, as a young lad, has a dream. Now, he's already his father's favorite, which doesn't help his relationship with his older brothers. He's got many of them. Um, but he has a dream that God gives him of his brother's circling around him and bowing down to him. And, and the dream signifies to Joseph that God is giving him favor over his brothers. Well, Joseph, because he's used to being kind of favored by his dad, runs to his brothers immediately and he tells them. <laughs> he said, you guys, I saw in a dream God revealed to me. You are bowing down to me. His, how many of you know that his brothers didn't fall on their faces right there and start to bow down to Joseph? Instead they said, you know, we've just had it with this kid. Um, He just is such a nuisance. And they must have really, really hated him because they threw him in a pit, and almost immediately a slave-trading caravan of Midianites heading down to Egypt happened to go by, and so they sold him to the slave traders, and off he goes down to Egypt. And they're done with him. He's gone. And they simply went home and told his father, who absolutely just fell out, and I don't think ever re- really recovered, but they simply told his dad that, oh, a lion attacked him and tore him apart, and here's his, here's his bloody clothes. So at any rate, praise God, I'm trying to figure out where that is coming from. Um, at any rate, he goes down to Egypt, and he's sold as a slave, and a wealthy man in the in the society there in the empire of Egypt named Potiphar buys him, and uh, he takes him to his house. Well, the thing is that even though he's young and impetuous and idealistic and immature, he is that he is that man, that that God is going to raise up and give favor to. There's something in him that loves God and honors God, and so because of it, he's diligent in everything he does. I want you just. Stop for a moment, think about Joseph, and imagine if you were him. You are now in a foreign land. You don't speak the language. There's nobody there that you know, and nobody knows you, and you're a slave. And you realize you'll likely never see your homeland, never see your family again, and it's happened that quick. You have a dream of your beloved family bowing down before you, and the next thing, You're now a slave in this rich man's house and you're serving him. But Joseph, Joseph is just faithful and he's honorable. And he does so well that Potiphar learns to trust him quickly and he puts him over all the affairs of his house. And he trusts the keys of his castle, if you will, and puts everything and every other servant under Joseph's authority till one day Potiphar's wife decides to seduce him. And so she tries to lure him into a sexual encounter, tries to seduce him, and Joseph, what does Joseph do? He turns, and you know what the Bible says? Flee youthfulness. That's God's strategy. Run away. Run. Just run. Don't think about it. Don't try to be strong. Don't try to resist. Run. Run. And that's exactly what Joseph did. And as he ran, as he took off to run, she reaches out and grabs his clothes and rips them right off of him. And he runs away and she's got the clothes. So her husband comes home. Now <clears throat> she's very offended. And uh, so you can just imagine the attitude that she has towards him. She tells her husband Potiphar when he comes home that uh, you're your slave humiliated me and made fun of me and made sport of me. And she's crying and she's uh, she's just carrying on. And so Potiphar, the Bible says, flies into a rage and has him thrown in prison. So Joseph goes now from being a slave in Potiphar's house, unjustly thrown into prison. He's God has opened some doors for him, and he's passed through them faithfully. He's served, even though he's serving not in the context of the vision God gave him, but in a foreign land where it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about whether he's honorable. Nobody cares whether he's faithful to his vision or faithful to God. But in his heart, he's following that vision, even though I'm sure by now he figures it's never going to come to pass. So now, for his good and his faith and his faithfulness, he goes from being a slave to being a political prisoner in Pharaoh's prison. Down in that prison, he's still Joseph. And the warden of the prison notices how faithful he is with all the different tasks that are there. And so naturally, once again, God has put a door in front of him. He could be bitter. He could close himself off. He could say, what what does my life matter? My life really has no purpose. I'm just a prisoner and just be angry, and take on the, the mental attitude, and develop the character of a hardened prisoner. But he doesn't. He continues to be that person that he is in his dream. And so he ends up being the warden's assistant, and the warden turns the keys over to him and lets him run the prison. And so I'm sure during during those years that he was running the prison, the prisoners had it pretty good. And he was showing merciful kindness and things were excellent. Till one day, there were two political prisoners, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker, who both in the same night had a dream, a very disturbing dream, and they were upset because they didn't know what the dream meant. And uh, so, well... Joseph interprets dreams, doesn't he? So he says to the baker, to the cupbearer, he said, tell me your dreams. And they tell him the dreams. And he interprets both the dreams. And the interpretation of both the dreams goes something like this. To the cupbearer, he says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to release you from prison and reinstate you as his personal cupbearer and reinstate all of your privileges back to you. And then he turns to the the baker and he says in three days Pharaoh is going to have your your head cut off and impale your body on a spike, and those are the interpretations of the dreamer. Within three days, that exactly is is exactly what happens. But Joseph grabs hold of the cupbearer and he says, "Listen, man," he said, "When you get reinstated, remember me." Tell Pharaoh, I am unjustly imprisoned here. Tell him what's happened. Tell him what kind of a guy I am. Well, the cupbearer is reinstated, but two years go by, and he forgets Joseph. He doesn't bother. He doesn't bother to mention Joseph to Pharaoh. But two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And he wakes up. He's had it twice in one night. and He's disturbed. And none of his magicians and none of his dream interpreters can interpret the dream. And the cupbearer says, you know, I remember there's this young Jewish guy in the prison. And he tells Pharaoh the story. And Pharaoh says, bring that guy to me. And he brings him to Pharaoh. And he not only interprets Pharaoh's dream, but he says, now, Pharaoh, he said, this is what you ought to do. Famine is going to hit in seven years. That's what your dream is about. During those seven years, find someone who's wise, who you could put over the task of taking 20% of all the produce that's raised out of the ground, all the food, and store it up those seven years so that the seven years of famine that follow, there will be food for Egypt. And the Pharaoh says, that is awesome. That is awesome. Where am I going to find a man that has that kind of wisdom? You're the man that God has given this wisdom to and he makes him prime minister of the empire. Prime minister. He gives him his ring and he rides him around in a chariot and he takes him throughout Egypt. He says, this man, for all intent and purposes, is Pharaoh to you. Nobody in my empire may go out or come in without permission from Joseph. Amazing. God opens another door for Joseph. So that's what, that's what this is about this morning. And I want to now take you back in that story now that I've refreshed your memory. Joseph decides to embrace the vision that God's given to him, and uh, that vision of, of him having favor over his family. and it And, and he walks through that door. He embraces that vision, And that door leads him to becoming the prime minister of the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. But Joseph was not going to be given the reins of power and become the steward over Egypt until he learned to be faithful as a steward in captivity and a steward in slavery and a steward in prison. You know, Joseph probably likely thought that uh, if he simply claimed the dream, like so many, and like our modern culture today, uh, has this inculcated, and it's inculcated throughout our culture and, and particularly emphasized in our education system, unfortunately. But he likely thought, I have only but to claim the dream and I'll level up on my brothers. You know that term, leveling up. Everybody wants to level up. There's churches who are constantly in the pulpit getting their people to, to confess that it's God's time for you to level up. And I believe God wants us to level up, to rise a level Although in our culture today, I think for the most part, the idea of leveling up is gaining something over others around you. And that's, I think, behind the scenes what that's all about. But God had to level up Joseph's character and his integrity before he could level up his position. Praise the Lord. And this is Mother's Day, so at least every mother here ought to understand what I'm talking about. Gotta level up their character before you level up their position. Is that not right? right? All right. Praise the Lord. Even though Joseph must have felt that his vision had taken a terrible wrong turn when his brother sold him to the slave traders heading down to Egypt. The Bible says in that scripture that we opened up with, or that I shared after we opened up, did I share that scripture? No! no you didn't. Now's a good time to share it, praise the Lord. The story of Joseph is referenced in Psalm 105. I want to grab just a little piece of it and read it to you. Listen to how how God describes Joseph's betrayal and being thrown into slavery down to Egypt. Listen to this. God sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in chains of iron and his soul entered into that iron until his word to his cruel brothers came true and until the word of the Lord tried and tested him. Then Pharaoh sent and loosed him and let him go free and made Joseph lord of his house and ruler over his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. So, back to the point I wanted to make. Joseph must have thought that dream is left up there in the land of Canaan. I've, I have opened a door that has led me into hell, and I am living in hell. There's no way this vision has got anything to do with God blessing my life, yet the Bible says God sent a man. You know, when God says, I'm sending you somewhere, hold your breath until he tells you, how you're going to be sent and what that ministry is going to look like. But the Bible says God sent him. Every time we find ourselves in a situation of captivity, what's the first thing we do? We pray. I command Satan to release this situation. Probably most of the time Satan is involved. Certainly Satan was using his brothers. And regardless of all of those influences, overall, God had a plan, and God sent a man to Egypt. And there, in rejection, isolation, and hardship, during years of servitude and imprisonment, Joseph held on to God. Joseph held on to God through his servitude, through his imprisonment. But you know what? The Lord, even though it seemed his vision was off track, or and he was certainly off track, God continued to put doors of promotion in front of him. He's a servant and a slave in Potiphar's house. God put a door of promotion before him, and he served faithfully, and he was promoted. The wife came. There was a door that Satan put in front of him. What did he do? He walked through the doors that God gave him with honor and integrity, and he fled from the doors that Satan put in front of him. What did he get for his troubles? A trip down into the prison. But God continued to put those doors before him, even in prison. And Joseph passed through those doors with integrity. Can you say amen? Amen. So Joseph chooses to honor God and to give God his best among strangers who couldn't care less whether he fulfilled his vision or honored God. You know, we we belong to churches. We belong to fellowships, to communities. We are connected with other believers. And so we know that we're always being watched. But think of Joseph down in Egypt. Nobody knows God down there. Frankly, nobody really cares whether he honors the Lord, whether he's faithful to God. So he is playing for an invisible audience. He's simply following what's in his heart, even though everything around him says it doesn't matter. Joseph learned to be faithful with slaves and prisoners before he got handed power and leaders to be steward over. And though his vision appeared to be long gone, Joseph chose to be the man in his vision, And even though all of the circumstances around him said that the vision no longer mattered, Joseph lived as though it mattered to God. Joseph was determined to spend his life being who his vision said he was. And that is why some people go on in life and fulfill the purpose God has for them. And it's also why some people don't. Because when others don't seem to see the sense in it, and it doesn't matter to others, it stops mattering to us. But the only one your vision should matter to is God and you. That's where you keep the faith. Joseph couldn't stop being the person in his vision, even though every reason around him said, just be like everybody else. Are you listening to me? You know, there are a lot of people in life who sacrifice themselves and live disciplined and self-sacrificing lives, being faithful to a vision that somewhere along the line appears to not matter to others around them. And they probably usually ask themselves the same question that Joseph must have asked. Why? Why do I follow disciplines that don't matter to people? Why am I breaking myself for a cause that doesn't matter to anybody else? And I'm going to give you the answer, praise the Lord. Number one, it's because there are things that people don't care about that matter to God. There are things that people overlook put no value in, but God holds them in high regard. And God's promises don't go away just because they don't line up with the circumstance, just because there's nothing out there in your circumstances that seems to line up with the vision God's put in your heart doesn't mean that God's purpose has gone away. The gifts and callings of God do not change. And the second part of this answer is that because there's a destiny inside of you, not out in your circumstances. Now, that's worth the price of the message, if you really take it to heart and think about it. (coughs) There is a destiny God is trying to build in you. And if you keep trying to find it out there in the connections that you make in society or with other people, you're never going to pass through the right doors. Because God develops the vision in the ground that he planted it in. And that ground is you. He plants the vision in your heart. And that's where it matters. And thirdly, the answer is, why should I follow to the question, why should I follow disciplines that don't seem to matter to people anymore? It's because God is refining a prime minister. You must become the prime minister... Before you get to be the prime minister, does that make sense to anybody? You have to become the man who can, or the woman who can, fill that office before you get to be the person in that office. God is refining a prime minister in Potiphar's house, in Pharaoh's prison, in the in the chains of the slave traders. God is preparing you. You're in prime minister preparation school through all of those terrible things that you think surely must be indications that God's dream was not authentic or somehow you've jumped the track. Before Joseph could be released to become the prime minister, the Bible says, The word of the Lord tried him and tested him. The word of the Lord tried him and tested him. God, as he tries and tests us, as he prepares us to become the prime minister of something, God isn't just dusting us off. When the Lord cleanses us, he doesn't cleanse us for others, he cleanses us for himself. When God deals with you and cleanses you, don't look to meet the standards of other people because quite frankly, people in the world, they simply wash up, clean their face, and put on a change of clothes to impress those around us. Everything is the surface, just a dusting. You go around your house with a little dust thing and you just dust everything off. But when God deals with us, when he passes us through doors, he's not the least bit interested in dusting you off. He's more like an x-ray. And he's going in where only you and he know what's going on. And he's doing a work of refining, of transformation. That's why the doors lead to Potiphar's house. That's why passing through the doors lead to the prison. That's why you're there. You're not being punished. You're being prepared. Somebody say praise the Lord. Transforming Joseph from an idealistic boy with a dream to a seasoned steward of an empire was like taking a great ship through the Panama Canal from one vast ocean to another vast ocean. How many of you are familiar with how the Panama Canal works and the lock system? I'll just mention it to you. Oh, praise God. The young man over there. Well, it's a great lesson about how to pass through the doors when God takes us from one great place to another great place. When you enter the Panama Canal, you go from the wide open freedom of an ocean into the narrow confinement of a cell A watery cell where the door closes behind you. And locked in that lock, you are there in that tight, confined place for one purpose. To change your level. That is the only reason you're there, is to change your level. And the Panama Canal happens to have five locks. So five times before you can get to the Pacific Ocean from the Atlantic, five times you're going to go from one narrow place of confinement to another place of confinement. By the time you even see the Pacific Ocean, you're going to wonder, is this what, look at I'm a grand ocean-going vessel, and I'm jammed into these little, and it's up and down and up and down and up and down. That's what leveling up is. Leveling up isn't what the churches and the rappers are deceiving you into thinking that it is. God knows how to level people up. Praise the Lord. Can you say Amen? amen. When, by the time you pass through that last door, that last lock, and you're at the you've been adjusted, you're at the same level as the Pacific Ocean. You then move out into being the Prime Minister that you have been leveled up to become. Hallelujah. Now, I want to make this personal as we close this message this morning. God has called you, all of you, to be the prime minister of something. I don't know what you're supposed to be the prime minister of. But God has given his authority to you, and he's called you to be the prime minister of something. He's put a vision in you designed to lead you from idealism to true power. Handling true authority, handling true power. And along the way, he's transforming you into a faithful steward. Because remember, your future is not fate, it's a stewardship. And whether you're going to get there or not depends on how you handle the doors that God puts before you. For example, if the doors that God puts before you If a door God puts before you leads to suffering injustice. Remember this. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you wisdom and mercy and prepare you to be the steward of judgment. To be able to handle true judgment and to judge matters and judge circumstances means that you have to have gone through the school of injustice you have to have been offended you have to have been treated badly treated wrong again and again until you learn the lesson that god's loving kindness is better than life he doesn't free you from one lock he doesn't bring you through one experience of injustice so that you can get even see people today that's the mistake our country's making right now They think that justice is getting even. But we learned as children, you don't fight evil with evil. You haven't learned anything. If you think that you are qualified to judge just because you have the power over other people, you're not going to be prime minister for long. You'll be overthrown. Jesus didn't come back from the dead to get even. Did he? What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When Jesus was on that cross, breathing his last, he said, "Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He lived as the prime minister of salvation, of our salvation. So the Lord the Lord doesn't bring us into the vision that that He has given us for our lives just because God wants the shoe to be on the other foot. Now you get to have what, you know, what other everybody else has. And remember this, Not close with this, back to our scripture. I have put in front of you an open door, God said, that no man can shut. Let me back up. That no man can shut. Listen to me. When God brings you through a door that he is open, that he put there, just remember, no man can shut it. No man can shut that door. Hallelujah. Just tuck that away somewhere. And the Lord said, I know that you have but a little strength, but you've obeyed my word, and you've not denied my name. It's worth it. It's worth it. Every tear, every time, You were discouraged. Every time you thought, this is over. I'm off track. My life has just turned to mess. But instead, even though you felt that way, even though your mind couldn't conceive how God could be in this situation, you still lived like a man or a woman who honors God. You couldn't be anything other than what God had made you. That's a Christian. That's a prime minister. Somebody say, praise the Lord close your Bible, stand with me this morning. I hope the Lord has encouraged and inspired you today because He has certainly put a powerful future in each and every one of you. And in each and every one of you, there is a path nobody else can walk. It's your path. And Please don't downgrade yourself. Joseph must have felt, I mean, if, if any series of, of conditions, horrible conditions, uh, could cause a person to feel like they were totally worthless, those conditions happened to Joseph. Yet he, he behaved like pure gold, although he felt like, you know what, And there it is. It's because there is a dream. There was a dream in Joseph, and it always was God's plan. And God has put a dream, a vision in you. Live to be that person. Praise God. Sometimes we think the only door that matters is that final door where you go from prison to prime minister. But if you're ever going to see that door, you have to know all those other doors along the way. They are even more important because they're what determine whether you ever will see that door open. They're the ones that really matter. I'd like you to bow your heads with me and let's take a moment. Just bring our hearts before the Lord. Heavenly Father, the world imposes upon us a value system that is strategic and calculating. And always, we're always measuring things by what we see. But vision isn't based on what we see. Vision is based on what we know. And what we see can be very distressing. And the only way to overcome what we see is to Live by what we know. I know Jesus, not only are you Lord, but you are Lord of my life. You are Bishop of our souls. You are the glory and the lifter of our heads. And now, if you are hearing this message today and Jesus isn't Lord of your life, there's an open door in front of you right now. That door, Jesus is knocking at it, not the preacher. Not your friends, but Jesus. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He is the only one who can fix you. He's the only one who can unite you with your purpose because he's the one who made you. And he's knocking, and I encourage you, open that door and invite Jesus Christ into your life. To his rightful place, let him take the place as your creator and as your savior. To help you do that, just pray these simple words with me now. God, I come to you. I hear Jesus knocking on my heart. And I open up my will and I say, Lord, please come into my life. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I can't change myself But I thank you that you love me and that you have come to bring change and purpose into my life. I welcome you now as my God, as my Savior. In Jesus' name, I turn my life over to you. And I ask you to give me the precious Holy Spirit to live within me and to guide me. In your name, Lord. Amen.